Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Tests that detect the coronavirus on surfaces are now available. And Contact 6 is trying one out. people that most immediately need help are the people that are, you know, one court case away from being thrown out of their homes. You'll pay more for the convenience, but how much more? And what's your restaurant's cut? In this Contact 6 Argena report. Sachs. Contact 6 wanted Argena to Sachs. Contact 6 found out. Contact 6 report. Food delivery surprises, a push to stop evictions, and what a doorknob can tell you about the coronavirus. From the Fox 6 studios, this is Open Record. I'm Amanda St. Hilaire here with Brian Polson. Hi, Brian. Hi, Amanda. We are recording this episode on Thursday, February 4th, and we are here with Contact 6 investigator Jenna Sachs. Hi, Jenna. Hi, guys. So we do this every time you're on, but you're, if you're a longtime listener to Fox 6, you obviously know a lot about Contact 6, you know about Jenna. But Jenna, for those who are listening to Open Record for the first time, give us a little background about your job and, and, and all about Contact 6. Contact 6 is Fox 6's longstanding consumer segment. Most of what we do is based on a process where our viewers file complaints about businesses, government agencies, and so on uh, on our website. And we review those and try to help them pursue resolutions, uh, both on air and off air. But we also do stories about consumer issues and trends. And that's where these topics we're discussing today really fall into. Well, and Jenna, along those lines, you've been busy really since the start of the pandemic, but I feel like especially lately, and we do have a lot to talk about today. So I want to start with your test of food delivery services. And I know from talking to you, you went into the story thinking it was going to be one thing, and, and then it kind of took an unexpected turn. So how did that unfold? That's right. I mean, we set out to do a story that would primarily compare the prices and fees for some popular food delivery service providers, which are called DSPs. And we did that in the story, but in the process, we also uncovered something that we found really interesting and became a big part of the story. And a lot of restaurants are turning to these DSPs now to survive the pandemic. It can be very helpful to them. Uh, these are places like DoorDash, Uber Eats, Grubhub, Postmates, and they deliver from restaurants directly to people's homes. And for that convenience, you will pay additional fees that go to the driver and to the DSP. So we decided to go about this by placing the same order with Cousin Subs with three platforms, DoorDash, Uber Eats, and Grubhub. And we found that the price of Uber Eats and DoorDash before tip was within a dime of one another, 57% more than if we'd ordered in the store. Grubhub cost us more. It was 77% more than if we'd ordered in the store, partly because they charged us a small order fee. And it also took the longest to, to, to deliver. And this is where it got interesting for us because there was a reason that delivery took so long. And it turns out the delivery driver for Grubhub actually had to call our order into Cousins himself 
rather than the order going to the franchise through an integrated computer system. And that's because Grubhub did not have an integrated system set up with Cousins. It didn't even have an agreement in place with Cousins to deliver its food. Cousins was unaware that Grubhub was delivering its food. Uh, and we found out this is a common issue in the food industry. DSPs taking and delivering food orders without a restaurant's knowledge. And for the restaurant, that does raise concerns, not only about their trademarks, but about the quality of the food and the delivery um, and how they might be held responsible by the customer who receives that order. So I'm guessing if you are a customer and you order through Grubhub, but you're getting cousins and your food takes forever to get there and it's really expensive and there's a problem, you may hold that against cousins because you're like, you have a bad experience in ordering the cousin sub when in fact the problem may well have been with the, the delivery service taking a long time, particularly because they have to place the order themselves. Is that sort of cousins concern? That is the fear by people in the industry and why Cousins asked Grubhub to remove them from its platform after our story, and it did. Uh, mind you, Cousins says this is the third or fourth time they've had to ask Grubhub to do that. Uh, but yes, there was a class action lawsuit filed that we referenced in our story uh, from, by some businesses basically saying that by doing this, it implies a business relationship where there is none, and that can be very confusing for the consumer. So in this lawsuit, it was mentioned that a customer had a very bad experience with a delivery, and they said, this restaurant is awful. I'm never ordering from them again, and they blamed the restaurant. So that is definitely one of the concerns. And actually, the same day that we did our test of these delivery platforms, Ian's Pizza in Milwaukee asked that Uber Eats remove it from its platform. So it's not just Grubhub doing this, it's Uber Eats, it's all of these places uh, basically finding restaurants that are in demand and putting them on their website without some sort of agreement in place with the restaurant. So Jenna, it's your fault that uh, Cousins isn't on Grubhub anymore. <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah, yeah, if, if you want to see it that way, yes, I got it taken <laughs> off. But you know, given its history, you know, maybe it'll pop back up again now, in, in all, a couple months. In all seriousness, uh, th there has been a lot of criticism of how some of these food delivery services work it, that's come to light, especially since the pandemic. You hear a lot about restaurants not really getting that big of a cut. People are ordering delivery, thinking they're supporting their local restaurants. And then they find out later that those restaurants didn't get a whole lot of the money from that order. So is that fair criticism? Is that something you encountered in your story? Cousins says that they are very uh, they're very much okay with the agreements that they have in place, but they are also very aware that they come from a stronger position than a lot of smaller mom and pop restaurants. These delivery service providers want to work with Cousins. They want to have their menus on their websites. So Cousins comes into the uh, bargaining table with a lot more power, whereas these smaller mom and pop shops uh, may not get as good a deal. And you'll find on online lots of testimonials from restaurants who say it was not financially beneficial to them in the end to use a DSP, but that was not the position of cousins saying that for them they were comfortable with their arrangement. But I think it has to do with the agreement that you make, and not everyone is getting the same agreement. You know, if you go way, way back in time to the dinosaur ages, I used to work for a pizza delivery service back in St. Louis called Emo's Pizza. And so people have obviously called for pizza and we delivered. 
but Emo's was providing the delivery service. Pizza delivery is obviously where, really where home delivery, I think, probably originated. Uh, you think of Domino's and all the controversy over its 30-minute guarantees that had drivers speeding through intersections and, and killing people, uh, which is why those things ended. But, but I think the pizza industry has had delivery built in for so long. And obviously it's, it's, you know, worked well. People love to order pizza on a Friday or Saturday night. It's convenient. It comes to you. I wonder with these delivery services, they're sort of filling in a desire for people who are at home to eat something other than pizza. Like we don't just want to have pizza every night. We'd love to order these other things. We like to order from home. So obviously they provide a service. I wonder is the industry, you know, is it adapting or, or will more restaurants start to provide more of this service themselves? Or is it beneficial to some to have these services because maybe every restaurant doesn't have the capability to have their, you know, their staff, which may already be short, out delivering food all the time. Well, that last point is the one that we really heard. It's a matter of staffing and having the people who can provide that service. Uh, so yes, it, I think for a lot of restaurants, it is very beneficial. And we have to remember these DSPs are employing people too. They are they are definitely helping some of these businesses survive the pandemic when they can't have people eating in. So there are pluses and negatives to using them. And I think this is something we're going to continue to see. But Cousins tells us they actually do have the ability for people to order directly on their own website. And they actually prefer that people do that because that's more financially advantageous to them if you use their website directly rather than going through these DSPs. So places like Cousins, which are a big business, have that ability to set that kind of system up. But, you know, your average smaller restaurant may not have that ability, so they're going to want to partner with these DSPs. Uh, but, you know, it all depends on the fees, right? Cousins says that all the fees charged go to the platforms and their drivers. Cousins gets money from the food on the website. They have power over the menu items listed and the prices of those items. And if you notice on the website that the prices listed are higher than in a restaurant, that's because probably the restaurant negotiated raising those prices to offset any other losses they might have associated with using the DSP. So Jenna, some of the issues you tackle are about convenience, but some are a matter of people having a place to live. And you've done a lot of reporting this year in particular about evictions and rent during the pandemic that has evolved over time. Where do things stand right now when it comes to uh, evictions and and people struggling to pay their rent because of COVID-19? Well, that depends on who you talk to. When we spoke with Legal Action of Wisconsin about this issue, they say that in Milwaukee, the situation of evictions and people being unable to make their rent is as bad as it's been throughout the pandemic. They say that people continue very much to struggle. And we do have a federal moratorium on evictions in place, but it's not automatic. You don't automatically qualify for it. And that may be confusing some people because in order to qualify for this federal moratorium, you have to submit a declaration form to your landlord declaring things like, I have lost significant income related to the pandemic. I am trying to make partial payments and I'm doing my best to uh, make new income. And you have to testify to that by handing it to your landlord. Uh, That's how you automatically qualify, not just, you know, because you are a tenant. Uh, You can also be evicted for reasons such as criminal damage to property or criminal activity. So it's not going to apply to everyone. And for that reason, 
evictions have continued despite a federal moratorium in place, and they are continuing in Milwaukee County. And Jenna, you went to and and covered a protest about this issue earlier this week. So what were the demands of the protesters? What was all that about? The protest was organized by a new union called the Milwaukee Autonomous Tenants Union. Uh, It was on Monday, and they were protesting a company called S2 Real Estate, and they were protesting S2's record of evictions during the pandemic. And we looked into it and found that S2 has filed for 82 evictions since September. And this group wanted S2 to not only halt its eviction filings, but also start waiving back rent that's gone unpaid during the pandemic, something the company said we can't waive back rent. But they also wanted the company to have a self-imposed moratorium on filing for evictions, citing the need in the community. Um, and you might you know, ask, how are they able to file for those evictions? It was the reasons we just explained. Sometimes tenants aren't submitting that declaration form. Um, sometimes they have uh, maybe not met up to the the uh, promises they made on that declaration form and that the their uh, landlord is trying to prove that in court, or maybe there was criminal behavior. I, I know that when it comes to landlords and property managers, they're not always real happy to talk to the news media. In fact, sometimes they will go to great lengths to hide from the news media. They don't want to talk. They, they don't like us. They don't want to talk about things. But S2 Real Estate, I believe Sam Stair, that's what the S2 mm-hmm. stands for, uh, has actually spoken a number of times. And you talked to him for this story. What did he have to say? Yeah, he, he was absolutely all right with us covering this. Actually, he was the one that notified us to it. And he seems to understand that in every story, there's going to be balance. We're going to have the views of the protesters and we're going to include his views. Which I want to emphasize, (laughs) he invited you to come cover a protest of his company. He did. And he, I think he feels that the opportunity to get his side out there on behalf of landlords is worth it, even if it's balanced out by the protest outside of his building. And he wanted to say basically he has people who are not making an effort to pursue rental assistance. That's what he says. It's a small number, but he says we want people to pursue rent assistance because it helps us. And if they aren't, we're we're going to file for eviction because that's that's going to help us. That's what you're supposed to be doing right now. Um, and he said, you know, we have 30 to 50 people who we have helped file for rental assistance and we're willing to do that, but he wants people to work with him. And that was a point he wanted to get across. I know one thing we've heard from landlords over the pandemic is, hey, we're struggling too, because when we don't have rent come again, we can't make the payments that we need to make on these properties. Is is that still the case? Is that what you're hearing from landlords? Absolutely. Uh, Sam Stair said that they have mortgages to pay, they have taxes to pay. And before the, the pandemic, they were growing. They were a business that was growing. Now they're focusing on trying to maintain. And other landlords that own fewer properties are not as fortunate. He said he's starting to see landlords selling off their buildings because they can't afford to maintain them anymore. And he said some are getting rather desperate. But when we talked to him for this story, he did say, you know, from now on, I am going to try a formal mediation process instead of going to court. He said, I think that this might result in people actually uh, qualifying for financial assistance. And in the end of the day, that's what that's what we want. So he said, you know, we're going to try a mediation process instead of going to court. And he hopes that will benefit 
everybody, including including him. But he did say, you know, most of these eviction filings don't result in actual evictions. They result in payment plans or they result in someone applying for financial assistance. Since September, they've had 11 evictions Which, take place. Even if even if you don't get evicted, though, going to court, I mean, that can still affect your credit history. Like that, that still has it's costly. It still has a, a huge impact on all the people involved. Right. The landlords, I don't think they want a huge history of it. And I don't think the tenants want it on their record either. So if they can go to mediation and discuss why they haven't applied for financial assistance, did they not understand that they would qualify? Did they not understand that the moratorium is not automatic, that you have to submit a declaration form? These are things that can come out during mediation rather than in the court process when it might not be as effective. Well, and I think, you know, Sam uh, mentioned or you mentioned that he said, you know, they're a big company. They're able to manage some of this because of that. But I imagine someone who owns a duplex and they've got one rental unit, they're renting out the lower or the upper and their tenant isn't paying. That can be a real hardship if that's the only way you're really keeping your head above water. So obviously this isn't just a struggle uh, in terms of this this time right now for tenants, but it can also be a struggle for those who are renting out units. Right. And we were trying to balance that out in our story. Those are the people who are more likely to have to sell their properties right now rather than being able to make up the difference with other units that have money coming in. But there is financial assistance that's been available and it's coming available. So we had $38.5 million allocated to Milwaukee for rental assistance last year that was administered by you know community advocates, Hope House, Impact 211, and the SDC. And they're getting more money. The community advocates tell me that the new Stimulus Act does provide more money for rental assistance. So they have the availability of $10 million more million coming. And they're going to be launching that program in a couple of weeks. People can go online and fill out a form that takes about 30 to 45 minutes if you have all your documents in front of you. And you can see if you qualify for rental assistance. And the landlords want you to do that. So, Jenna, at the beginning of the pandemic, we were hearing a lot about the need to sanitize surfaces, right? Businesses would say, hey, don't worry, we wipe everything down every X amount of minutes. People were wiping down their groceries after they got home from the store. And we now know that the coronavirus doesn't last very long on surfaces. But you found out that testing surfaces can actually give us information that's useful in a different kind of way. We did, and it's really interesting how the messaging has changed over time in regards to surfaces and how the coronavirus spreads. And that's just based on new studies and new information that's coming forward. And in our study, we focused on a new surface test that's become available. Uh, Accelerated Clinical Laboratories has been a resource for Contact 6 for a number of years. They have a state contract for coronavirus testing, so they're very busy right now, but they do know about coronavirus testing. And they received this new surface test. It's been approved by the Association for Agricultural Chemists. It's one of only a few that has been. And we decided to try it out. And we focused on door handles because we thought that was something that would impact everybody. We took 14 samples from across the Milwaukee area, trying to cover a range of places. We went to libraries, laundromats, a gym, coffee shop, uh, city buildings, a tax prep office, just a real range of places. And we brought the samples back to Accelerated for analysis. And uh, we found coronavirus. Where did you where did you find it? So we found coronavirus on three of the 14 samples we collected. 
One detected coronavirus on the door handle at a laundromat, and two were at City of Milwaukee buildings, including City Hall. Um, we did notify Milwaukee uh, about what we had found, and they told us they do have a full-time cleaning specialist who disinfects high-touch surfaces like door handles three times a day. But this is where we made an important point in the story. These results are meant to be a screening tool that tell us whether COVID-19 has been present in an environment. Now, just because we found the coronavirus doesn't mean levels were high enough for transmission. So it tells us if people in the area who have COVID have come into the area, but it doesn't tell us whether you're going to catch it from that limited interaction with the door handle. And based on research about the spread of COVID by surfaces throughout the pandemic, it now appears the chances of that spread uh, by touch of surfaces is low because we've seen, as I said before, a real change in messaging about surfaces. And that's because early on there was a big study that came out that said the coronavirus can live up to 24 hours on cardboard, 48 hours on stainless steel, and 72 hours on plastic. And that led to all these recommendations about us wiping down our groceries and quarantining our mail, right? So later studies found that the concentration used of the virus in that study was way more than in real life and was not realistic. Under more likely conditions, COVID-19 was found to live only one to two hours on those surfaces, or it wasn't found to be present at all. And we make a point in our story, you know, it's not an excuse to slack off on the hand washing, but also that doesn't mean you're going to catch it from a surface, even if it has coronavirus on it, the chances of you actually getting it are low because the concentration of the virus there is low. And yet we all still have these Lysol wipes everywhere and the hand sanitizer. I mean, that's, that hasn't gone away. No, and, and it's not a bad idea. But also the nurse we spoke with for this story said, continue those practices, but don't obsess over them. You don't need to worry about doing these things all day long or even every day. Wash your hands, have good hand hygiene, but you don't have to be worried about your package giving you coronavirus. You don't have to worry about getting it from your groceries. You don't have to wipe those down anymore. Transmission by surfaces is low. And they say there's really only two studies that found that the coronavirus is transferred by surfaces. There was someone who was found to get it by an elevator button in China, and there was someone who was found to get it from medical equipment in a South African hospital. Uh, but in between that, we're mostly concerned about airborne transmission. That's why we have the emphasis on wearing a mask. That's still the most likely way to catch the coronavirus, not from a surface. So these tests are really interesting because they tell us if the coronavirus is present in our community and if people are coming to work uh, with the coronavirus, that's where this really is helpful for workplaces, perhaps, you know, manufacturers, restaurants, offices who want to monitor the presence of coronavirus. Because if you find it on a surface, that means someone in the area carried it there or they have it. And that's helpful as a screening tool, but it's not going to tell you if you're going to catch it by touching it. Well, and it's a good reminder that, you know, usually we hear from scientists at the end of their research, right? At the end of the scientific process. And through this whole thing, through the pandemic, we've been hearing from scientists who are right in the middle of it. And mm -hmm. that's why information can change even from study to study and our understanding of it and, and the context of it. So I think that's why it's so important that you pointed out 
kind of the the history of the research in your story, Jenna, because at first glance, someone is going to look at a surface test and say, well, wait a minute, wasn't wasn't that idea kind of debunked? But now we're finding out it can be used for a different kind of purpose that maybe a lot of businesses hadn't thought of. Right. And I think people need to be maybe more understanding that we're in the middle of active science, like the way you you mentioned. There's research ongoing. We're learning more as we go. And at the beginning of this pandemic, there was a lot that was unknown. And we were getting research in real time. We were learning things in real time. And this is, I guess, how the scientific process works. You learn something, and then you learn a little bit more. And sometimes it contradicts some of the things you've learned. But, you know, it's we're at a point now where we're understanding the coronavirus better And surface transmission is one of those things that we're understanding better. So now it is time for us to finally revisit a segment that has been gone for almost a year. We used to end each episode. If you you go way back with Open Record, you know, in the beginning, we ended each episode with a dinner party question, the kind of stuff we would get asked when we were out and about at various things. Well, obviously, we are going to considerably fewer dinner parties these days. So we've decided to change things up, but we're bringing the concept of the segment back. So for our new segment, we're going off the record. That's the name. I hope you like it. Uh, We're going to bring in executive producer Sarah Smith. Hi, Sarah. What up? (laughs) (laughs) I'm super pumped. Can you tell? I'm so excited. Casual back. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Oh, hello, Brian. Great to be here. All right, so you you have you have us uh, you have our our first off the record question. Yeah, like what a bunch of pressure, right? Okay, so hey, come up with a question for this segment that we're bringing back. Uh, okay, so here's here's my little preface into this. So getting through the pandemic, um, you know, everyone's kind of I, I'd say a lot of people have relied on delivery. So whether that's you order food, you're shopping your favorite retail sites. Um, I know you all shop Amazon, like myself. So my question to you guys, uh, which may give a little insight into your personal lives, is what are the last three things you bought on Amazon? So think about it. I'll tell you mine. I'll start. So you think about the last three things. I'll go first. Uh, uh, I bought a seven-quart stock pot. Uh, nice. because my because my biggest stock pot looked uh, looked a mess on the inside so I figured it was time I bought a 24 pack of indi- individual bags of pirates booty for the ki- for the kids lunches <laughs> and uh, champagne flutes because champagne <laughs> I realized I'm, I'm, I'm 39 years old and I didn't have champagne flutes so I was done drinking it out of cups <laughs> Like a college kid. I support this. I support this purchase. Yeah. All the purchases, but especially the champagne flutes. That's fair. Okay. So who is ready to go first? Okay. So I have, I have to to pull up my app here to refresh my memory because there have been a lot of orders. So um, as we're almost one year into the pandemic, I finally ordered myself a desk to do my work at because <laughs> I have been sitting at my kitchen table or working um, from my couch or from my bed, depending on how I'm feeling that day through pregnancy. So I finally got this. It's like this little like ladder shelf desk secretary thing for my bedroom that's supposed to arrive next week. Um, I got a... A device. It's like a hanging wall display for my daughter's uh, various art projects that she brings home. 
So it's like a wire that goes across and then a bunch of clips underneath. And then you can yeah. just swap out the little things. Um, so that's that's going to be fun. Um, that was just delivered, but I have yet to set it up. And then um, a pair of dumbbell weights because I'm still trying to work out and stay healthy. And I actually am very proud of myself. I needed a set of heavier weights. So look at you. (laughs) I say heavier. I was using five pounds and these are seven pounds. So don't get too excited. (laughs) But it was still like a personal accomplishment for me. So those are my last three purchases. I also had to pull up my order history. (laughs) So I ordered um, an 800 count package of tiny fish stickers. For yourself, because, of course. Or is that for John? Well, well, nobody tell my nobody tell my five year old, but she's getting fish for her birthday, oh. and I want to make sure the fish get fed. So I bought tiny stickers <laughs> that she could put on the calendar every day, so that I know the fish got fed. So smart. That's adorable. This speaks to Jenna's personal organization, though. Look That's at that. Right. She already oh, has stickers yes. to track well, feeding. And also, this also speaks to my life. Um, because they can't have birthday parties right now, the birthday bags that you bring to school are very important to give to your classmates. So my daughter wanted treat bags, and we ordered some with four cats on them wearing party hats, and uh, they have little blowers in their mouths. So she's got some crazy cat lady birthday bags. <laughs> I like um, it. Yeah, I should post a picture of them. They're pretty ridiculous. We don't even have cats. Um <laughs> No, you just have and, three children. <laughs> no, yeah. and uh, diaper genie refills. Mm. Yes. Yeah, so Those are always go. important. <laughs> so uh, you guys, you, Sarah, you have no idea what a poignant uh, question you have asked here when I look at my history because I, I'm going to tell a really uh, uh, meaningful personal story here. But the last three items I purchased, I'm going to tell you the first one, which isn't very meaningful at all. It was just a dumb thing I did. I have a, a hard drive with all of my personal photos and videos on it. And I sat on it, and and the <laughs> connector uh, for the USB oh, 3.0 cable. I, I sat on on it. It was uh, on the couch. I was going to use it, and I sat yeah. on it, and I broke the cable, the connector. Uh, and it's it's this micro B cable that's got sort of a, a propri- not proprietary, but a sort of unique connector. So I had to buy one of those. So that's fine. Amazon's great for that. I had one the next day. Um, but the other two items actually come with a, a really uh, a meaningful story to me. So every year on January 22nd. Uh, We celebrate the anniversary of my daughter's open heart surgery. When she was 15 months old, she had to have uh, surgery to repair a hole in her heart. So we call that heart day. And so this year I got her two face masks with some little hearts up in the corner and uh, little heart shaped uh, diamond earrings. Not diamond, but diamond faux diamond. I don't know what would they be. They were they were stud earrings. And so that was the commemoration of her heart day. I love that. That's awesome. Oh, what a great story! Getting a little. I, I'm really, I'm, here. I'm grateful that we didn't go down to item number four, uh, the box of Franzia. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> can you? I don't know. Can you order? Can you even order alcohol on Amazon? I don't actually know. I don't think so. I don't know. Sarah just got the champagne flute, so I feel like the next yeah. logical step, <laughs> seeing if she can get some champagne. So maybe, maybe next time she can report back to us on that. The the funnier part is that I also bought champagne stoppers, which I'm like, I've never not finished a bottle of champagne. So 
<laughs> I'm not sure. I feel like I own so many wine stoppers, but I've never actually used a wine stopper. So this is sort is of an asp- a bigger problem. It's an aspirational purchase. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> I have I have a lot of those. Well, to take the pressure off of Sarah, uh, that was a great question, Sarah. So Sarah is great at coming up with questions. But if you want to take the pressure off her, if you have a question that you want to submit for our new Off the Record segment, or even if you want to suggest a topic that we should discuss on the podcast, an issue we should investigate, you can always send us an email. So please send your emails to fox6investigators at fox.com. Again, that's fox, the number six, investigators at fox.com. Thank you, Jenna. Thank you, Sarah. It's always delightful to see your faces, even if it's over Zoom. Um, And we do want to close out with just another reminder that starting next week, we are returning to our original schedule of one new episode per week. So you'll be getting episodes every Thursday instead of every Tuesday and Thursday. But with the bonus that the new off the record segment is back to stay. So you'll get to know a little bit more about us. We get to have a little more fun toward the end of things. As always, thank you to the people who make this podcast possible. Producer Pete, Dave Machuda, Suzanne Barthel, and of course, Sarah Smith. Please subscribe to Open Record if you haven't already. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. With that, I'm Brian Polson. For Amanda St. Hilaire, we'll be back on Thursday. (laughs) 